City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar, Performance Welcome to the American Theatre Wing Seminars on Working in the Theatre, which are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, which is located on 42nd Street, this magic, magic street, right in the heart of New York City. As we are about to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the American Theatre Wing's Tony Awards, I am reminded that this is the 22nd year that we have been bringing these seminars on Working in the Theatre to you. Uh, they're brought to you as a look for you to have behind the scenes of the theater uh, from the perspective of the performer, the playwright, the director, the scene designer, the set designer, the costume, and the unions and the guilds who work for and with the people who work in the theater. The American Theater Wing, as you know, is the founder of the theater's highest honor, the Antoinette Perry Tony Award. And it's given for distinguished achievement in the theater. This award is not given for the longest run or their greatest review, but it's given with a great deal of thought to those who have achieved a degree of excellence in the theater. It's a very important award and we're very proud of it, but it's, it's not all that the American Theater Wing gives. It gives back to the community through the theater. From the time of the stage door canteen, we have been working in the community through the theater. We have hospital shows. Uh, that's entertainment that go out to those who can't come to the theater. They go to nursing homes, hospitals, and aid centers. We have a program that is basically developed to develop audiences of the future. And that is working with the Board of Education and through the generosity of the Broadway producers, providing tickets to young people in the five boroughs of high schools of New York. We pay a minimum price for the ticket. They themselves pay a very small amount, a large amount to them, but a small amount to most people. And with that, they independently buy a ticket that we provide and come to the theater. And many times we have also had seminars after the theater, a discussion with the people that work in the theater, from the stage manager to the performer, so they too can see what it is to work in the theater. We're very excited about a new program that we have, and that's Theater in Schools, and it's exactly that. Under the Wings banner, we have brought in the people that make theater come alive, the performer, again, the playwright, the director, and the costume designer. And they sit and discuss with the student the possibility of working in the theater and the various areas that are open to them. And these seminars 
are an important outgrowth of the Wing School. I think they're unique and they provide the most wonderful insight into theater. Today's seminar is on the performer and to moderate the seminar to co-chair is Brendan Gill, who is a member of the Board of Directors of the American Theater Wing and he is also a esteemed writer and critic to New Yorker Magazine. And George White, who is equally as esteemed and equally as important as a director and founder of the O'Neill Center of the Performing Arts in Waterford, Connecticut, and is a director, and a very fine one at that. And I will turn the seminars over to them, and they in turn will interview and introduce to you the panelists on today's program. I hope that you enjoy it. I think you will learn from it. And I'm delighted that they are here and that you are here too. first empty chair belongs to Isabel. The second empty chair, this is sort of like Tenderlindians in reverse. The second empty chair belongs to Betty Buckley, who will be with us, but who is not here, as you see, at the moment. She uh, is the star now of the Sunset Boulevard, uh, and she came here to New York to perform directly from London, where she was in the same uh, great work, and where she received the Laurence Olivier Award for Best Actress in a Musical. She was the original Christabella in Cats. Uh, occupying a chair is Brian Murray, currently in rehearsal for David Hare's new play, Racing Demon, at Lincoln Center. He recently finished a long run in Travels with My Aunt at the Manetta Lane Theater and last year's black comedy at the Roundabout. And immediately to my right is Frances Sternhagen, at the present time performing the role of the aunt in The Heiress. She has performed on and off-Broadway in many roles, including On Golden Pond, The Good Doctor, and Driving Miss Daisy. Um, I, there is an old hymn, Brendan, called There'll Be One Empty Chair. We could probably <laughs> sing that at the end. But um, yeah, it is, indeed. Uh, on, uh, far out on my left is uh, Liz Calloway, who is currently playing uh, in Grisabella. And uh, when Betty Buckley gets here, it'll be fun to talk yeah. about that. Uh, on, in Cats on Broadway, she has been in many Broadway musicals, including Baby, and was recently at the Rainbow and Stars with her sister, Anne Hampton Calloway, in Sibling Rivalry. Uh, on rivalry, her, actually. Rivalry? Although there was a little rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, there you are. Right. Um, and uh, on her right is Roger Reese, uh, appearing in Indiscretions, and is an associate artist with the Royal Shakespeare Company, and remembered for his uh, really landmark portrayal in Nicholas Nickleby. Um, on my immediate left is Valerie Harper, who returns to the stage uh, in death-defying acts at the Variety Arts Theater, and is known for her television work on her own show, uh, Rhonda, Rhoda, this is my day, uh, and, and uh, Mary Tyler Moore's show. Rhoda uh, Revelry. There we are. <laughs> there we are. Uh, and is, but really is a veteran Broadway performer, uh, and this produ production marks her return. So welcome back. Thank you so much, George. Thank you. Uh, Well, I'd, I'd uh, sort of like to start uh, with uh, Liz, to, because we were talking uh, earlier before the show, and uh, 
just how she got started. And I gather you trucked in from West Virginia with no, your sister. No, actually from Chicago. Oh, with your sister yeah. and set up in uh, New York, set up shop. How, what made you do that? What made you leave Chicago and come here? Well, Ann and I both, uh, Ann was 21, I was 18 at the time, and uh, we had both gone to college for a very short period of time, and it just seemed right. Uh, and it was really kind of out of my sister Eileen. Aww. We really just kind of left together. <laughs> we um, didn't have very much money. We, we ended up in this little hotel that uh, ended up being a place where prostitutes lived, which we didn't realize <laughs> until we were there. And uh, we both started working. Anne started working in piano bars, and I took classes, and I was a singing waitress and did a club act, and then I got my first Broadway show, Merrily We Roll Along, when they were looking for, like, 19-year-olds uh, 19 who could sing and dance. So I brought my birth certificate to prove that I really was 19. <laughs> and... Um, we had a lot of adventures that we just celebrated our anniversary of moving to New York when we did our show. And it was really amazing to be on stage with my sister. Um, I think it was 13 or 14 years after uh, we had moved together, brought back so many memories. And I can't believe I'm on the stage with this incredible panel. I really feel like, what am I doing here? This is great. <laughs> well, what, uh, did, did you just decide uh, with Anne that... Gee, let's go to New York. Well, she she was planning on going to New York, and I was living in California, and uh, at the time, and we got together. She went to visit me in California. We got drunk one night and said, "Let's move together." <laughs> you know, it was kind of that. It, it really wasn't that thought out, um, <laughs> but our parents totally supported us, and uh, I kind of came to New York with a. A, a three-year plan that I, I had like a goal of maybe getting in the chorus of an off-Broadway musical in three years, even though, I, you know, it's just kind of a general plan for myself, but I knew I needed to study and work real hard, and um, I actually did a lot better and quicker than I had thought I would, but it was, I learned a lot. We had a lot of adventures, and uh, it's, it's a tough city, but I was very fortunate. There are a lot of sisters who have been able to work together on stage and on screen, everywhere, in fact. But much rarer are brothers. I wonder why that is. Have there been many brothers in history? Not that I can... No, not that I can think of. John Wilkes and Edwin Booth. Yes, that's right. The Hines brothers. Because it can be family work. Uh, yeah. yeah. And it's important to hear that your parents really did believe in you. They totally believe in Are us. they in West Virginia? Because, um, my uh, mom is a voice teacher in New York now, and my dad uh, still lives in Chicago. Actually, when I was in high school in Chicago, I used to take trips by myself to New York, and I'd stay in the little hotel and see shows, as many shows as I could for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that my parents let me do that, I think, was incredible. But it really, it, um, I was very independent and pretty street smart at that age and uh, so when we actually moved to New York I don't think they worried about us so much they knew that I would take care of my big sister <laughs> we'll get your father here yet I know. <laughs> get his side of the story Roger do you come from uh, London or outside of London and did you make the same kind of move to move into London and then of course you no, I was born in uh, Wales in a place called Aberystwyth mm -hmm. and um, and I, I, we were there till I was nine, and then I came to London, and I lived in South London. I was telling Valerie earlier that, really, I talk like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was at the time, I became an actor at the time, uh, when actors spoke 
I guess like I speak now, you know, kind of properly, sort of uh, received English, BBC English. And um, uh, nowadays people just speak with their, no, their own accents and it's a much more attractive and plausible thing, I think, now. Um, but um, I was so shy as a boy that I uh, retreated to the art room. And I, I was very sensitive and artistic and I, I became an artist, really. And that's all I could do. I was ragged in the schoolyard, you know, and, and I just sort of retreated, really, because I couldn't... I didn't know what it was. I couldn't face things. It was at the time uh, I was a boy uh, in London at school when the first immigration, uh, waves of immigration from the uh, colonies happened, you know. The result of our um, imperialization of the world, Britain was a very, very, you know, very important. All the globe was this color at one time. <laughs> and, um, but then lots of black families came to England and there was fear on both sides at that time, very great fear, especially in the schools, you know, it was a terrifying mm -hmm. time because of a uh, fear of the unknown, you know, which thankfully we're getting past uh, every day a little better. But um, so there was a lot of anger and distrust at that time in London, you know, in the communities, certainly the poor communities. Uh, and um, so I retreated to the art room, but I was very good at art. Um, I, I'm, I guess I'm artistic, you know? So, um, uh, and that's the way it came out at that time. I, it was too sissy to say I wanted to be an actor, really. But I never really was at any other classes. Whenever at any other classes, I was always up in London trying to get into theatres, like creep in the back way or try to go to museums and things. You I was thrown out. Uh, uh, like Rada or Lambda, you didn't? No, not at all. Um, I was thrown out of the Aldwych Theatre. I, I crept in the back way, climbed up the top and watched Peter Brook direct a rehearsal of U.S., which was a, a play he did there. And uh, a guy found me and they threw me out, and that's the theatre where I played Nickleby eventually. Oh, so, you know? great. Yeah, that's so that's kind of good. But so I was at art school, and I was at art school, so I didn't really talk until I was about 17. I went to art school, and I, you, know, you don't talk when, you, when you're an artist. You just paint. And I did paint very big canvases, and I suppose the best example of what happened eventually was that I went to the Slade School of Art, and uh, I painted very large canvases, so I would be... The Slade School of Art is on Gower Street, right next to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. And I would be, on windswept November mornings, be lugging my enormous canvases <laughs> along the street like this. <laughs> and I'd see the acting students going in with, like, a pair of sneakers and a book of, uh, I don't know, Love's Labour's Lost or something. And I thought, something's wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> you still, you, do you still paint? No, you know, painting for me was such a full-time occupation, so much an expression of my uh, artistic being, mm -hmm. that I really am reserving that until I have a bit, of, bit more security so I can get a studio and just paint, like, perhaps for the rest of my life or something. You know, I, I have that little secret thing that I'd like to do one day. It's certainly a very different form of expression, as you just not indicated in your own life. No, not no, at all. I was going to say, there's a link, always yeah. been a link between actors and painters, not so much actors and musicians, yeah. but somehow there's an affinity with... The with and the visual and the... I think. You think, yeah. yeah. I find as an actor, though, Zero. I tell you what oh, I do. Yeah, he was, he was I do the same as, I, as an actor as I do as a painter. As a painter, I used to make a big mess and then clean it up. And I think I do that as an actor, too. I sort of, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I go wild in the rehearsals and then define it more and more. So I think I recognize it as perhaps the same process. Lots of, of course, wonderful actors that I know have, were at art school. You know, perhaps when the expression of your art couldn't be the way you wanted it to be, you made it something else and then turned it when you had a bit more power. Well, there's a theory of, of all the arts together that what they all have in common is that they are ways of solving a puzzle. Yes. Whatever it is, it's, a, mm. you, it's the mentality of puzzle solving that mm. makes the novelist or the, uh, the actor or the painter or anything like that. And 
This is apparently true. And that's very probably, interesting. No, it's no, the no, first what of you? Mm. Yes, oh mm. yes, that's, that's wonderful. I've never heard it said that way. What were you saying? Is I was just saying, it's the first time this sort of technique has been explained, that everything is a mess. And then you, and, and then you begin to pull yeah. it all together and you get the lines that, yeah, that, that connect. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was Michelangelo that the statue was in the block and he, yes, had, that's to edit, very good. he had to yes. edit out, like not that, it. not that, not that, and then, it, yeah, it's mm. wonderful. Without missing anything vital in that case. <laughs> We hope so. <laughs> yes. Valerie, tell us about uh, your... Uh, uh, you know, again, it's great to have you back from television. Mm -hmm. Not that television is is, is selling out, but is it? What? How did you uh, did you start in theater? Oh yes, oh yes. In fact, I saw Moira Shearer in the red shoes, and like oh, many girls oh, of my yeah. generation, you wanted to be little Vicky. In fact, I I told my mother, call me Vicky, because her name was Victoria <laughs> in that little thing. I said, call me that, and I'm going to be Vicky Vale. Then I found out that was a girlfriend of Batman. Yeah, I didn't realize it at the time. I thought I was being original. She's a married sister of Lois Lane, but that's right. That's right. Alliteration is something with these superheroes, girls. Anyway, so I I wanted to be a ballerina and really went about working to get into the ballet. And I studied oh ten, twelve classes a week. And we moved to New Jersey when I was about, I guess, eleven. From from Ashland, Oregon, where I was taking lessons. Before that was California. My dad was in the lighting business and we moved every two years. One of the moves was to escape the bomb. I was of that generation. Oh, <laughs> dad said, let's move to Ashland. My mother said, but it's right on the coast. I don't get that this is a good move. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> anyway, whatever, the 50s mentality. And um, I started working. I went to sc uh, ballet school diligently uh, 50s, at Carnegie Hall. Right next door, seven art. Uh, it was yeah. called Ballet Art Studio, and I lived many wonderful lifetimes there, in sweating in the ballet room. And then, um, at the age of about seventeen, I was a very good student, and my dad and mom wanted me to go to college. I uh, auditioned, started auditioning for musicals, just because I wasn't. I, I my very first job was at Radio City Musical, I, not a rockette, okay, a ballet girl on the point shoes. I could tap, but not well enough to be a rockette. So that was that. And uh, it, it continued, and uh, Dad said I went to Hunter part-time in the new school in between classes, and then I got into Broadway musicals. And uh, Little Abner was my first one, and Take Me Along with Walter Pidgeon, and, and then we did Wildcat with Lucille Ball, and Subways Are for Sleeping, and Destry. I was in Destry Rides again with wonderful Dorothy Gray, Dolores. Dolores Gray, yeah. wonderful singer, yeah. and Andy Griffith, but I never opened in that because I got hepatitis along the way. And um, then, uh, at the, during this time, I started using my chorus uh, dancer, singer money to pay for acting lessons. And I was trying to get summer stock. And then finally I realized it would have to actually end being in the chorus, uh, much as I liked it, if I were going to become an actress. And that's what I did. And then I worked uh, in lots of things. My first job was come blow your horn at uh, University of Connecticut, um, playing uh, Connie, the girl upstairs. Yeah, it was Neil Simon's first uh, Broadway comedy, at least. And then I just continued working as a, an actress, Second City. You make it sound story all very simple and very simple? easy. No, no, it was very hard. It was rough. But you were self-sufficient for what? Sixteen? Uh, no, my, my parents were so supportive. I lived at home, and I was the, in fact, uh, Stubby K used to call me. He was in Little Abner. He played uh, Jubilation. Uh, no, he didn't play. 
Mary and Sam. Yeah. Jubilation T. Cornphone was the big number. And he used to call me his Holland Tunnel Honey because I was coming <laughs> through the bus from Jersey City and my family, mom and dad, and my sister and brother, and just out of high school, um, and um, coming in to the show. So I commuted for a long time. Then a girlfriend of mine who is now Iva, her name's Iva March, and she married at that time this young, struggling actor who had wanted to be, uh, you know, he, they tried a while in, in, in California. His name is Ron Rifkin, who has really gonna come into his own. But they were, they're old, dear friends of mine. And Iva was my roommate. She met Ronnie, they got married, and I moved with other roommates, so forth. So it was, that was my early life. Chorus Line was my early, early life. That show really displays what my life was like, and then I moved into the acting, and it was a whole different ball of wax, as they say. Uh -huh. Fantastic. And then, and then television. But you see, theater prepared me to play Rhoda. Sure it does. And I think theater prepares everyone. And I tell kids when I do seminars, I, I did Dear Liar with Anthony Zerby, and we toured all over the country and would have a master class. And I use the term loosely, a master, I don't know. But they would ask, oh, how do I get in TV? And I'd say, look, do you want to wear Cher's gowns or do you want to be an actor? Because they're quite different, and not that Cher can act, she's wonderful. But I'm saying the glitter and stepping out of limos with lights and stuff and lots of makeup and great gowns, it's not what the theater's about. So get into an acting class, start working, work with your friends, get an improv group going, find out if you really like the, the struggle and the challenge and the joy of doing that hard work that is acting, if you're serious about it. So, yeah. well, the, and I'll get into more. The one that will yeah. go into that, yeah. I think. On, yes, where, where you start. Uh, also, what about family support in your case? I didn't really answer your question. Uh, no, that's fine. Is, okay. That's a great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, no, I had uh, family support. I'm, I, I really admire the people who don't and and buck through a lot of things. But I always did, and I started at arena stage after uh, teaching for a year because I was scared to come to New York. You were born in Washington, or you yeah, lived in Washington, D.C. And I had no connections with theater. My family had no connections with theater. And I went to college, and uh, at the time, everybody I knew who was sort of going someplace was going into the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, well, that's an acting job. Ah, that's what people were doing in the 50s. That's an acting job. That's right. Well, believe it or not, when I went to Europe, I was traveling around, and a friend of mine uh, was with what they called G2 in Salzburg yes. and actually wanted me to be a spy in the Vienna <laughs> theater, uh, young, you know, student theater, and I realized that I couldn't ever do that because yeah. I would start being interested in people and doing it. I'd tell, I'd tell everything. everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> blabber <laughs> absolutely a blabber <laughs> So instead? Uh, so instead, I uh, taught for a year and then started, uh, I was, I found myself kind of performing for the students. And, I mean, I taught everything from, let me see, square dancing, group singing, dramatics, and modern dance up outside of Boston. <laughs> and when I thought that the Brattle Theater, I didn't know it was going out of business at the time, but I wanted to get into the Brattle Theater because I saw everything they did. So I tried for an audition at the Brattle Theater for a young man who was a producer, who was a Harvard graduate, who 
uh, wore a tweed coat and with the leather patches and smoked a pipe. And I, in the audition room where I did five very different things, um, he was about as far away from me as those glasses of water. And, uh, you know, I did uh, Juliet and I did Marjorie Pinchwife and uh, Sonia and Uncle Vine, quite a lot of different things. And at the end of it, he said, tapping on his pipe, he said, Miss Sternhagen, if you want to be an actress, may I advise you to give up teaching? You do everything as if you're leading the Girl Scouts onto the hockey field. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was so mad that I did. <laughs> and I went down to Washington and, and again tried to get it into uh, arena stage, and I was rejected. Um, and so I went to Catholic University to see if I could get into their plays because Alan Schneider was b working mm -hmm. both at Arena Stage and at Catholic U. And Father Hartke at the yeah. time just said, um, uh, I, I said, what do I do to get into your plays? And he said, we have to take a course. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, uh, what do you suggest? How about acting? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I took a course in acting. It was very... Uh, poor, poorly taught. I mean, they didn't really teach acting at the time. But I did. They just had lost a lot of graduate students, and I got into their first two plays, which was The Alchemist and Skin of Our Teeth, and was asked to go to Arena Stage, and that's how I started. Oh, that's yeah. great. Mm. That's great. Mm. But that's pretty yeah. hard work. But you yeah. have to. Oh, yeah, but the, uh, I quite agree with Valerie, and I tell what I tell students is just get into any place you can anywhere. Get up there. Just get up there and do it and see if you can stand it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. See if that's what you want to do. Val, what about you? Yes, Brian, you're yeah. now challenged to we, a very we, complicated we, beginning. So you to follow, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and were you supported by a, your parents? No. 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 Okay. There had to be and a... I didn't ever do anything else, and I was a child actor. I started Ooh. as a child actor in, uh, in South Africa, actually, which is where I was growing up at the time. I, I was one of those little pink countries that Roger was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, it just so happened that there were an awful lot of... Uh, actors from England who used to come out to South Africa in the winter and, and, and enjoy themselves because it was a lovely climate. So I got to work with extraordinary people like Gwen Franken-Davies and uh, Nan Monroe and, you know, mm -hmm. people who were, who were directors uh, in uh, Clifford Williams. And uh, I, sta I started as a child. I started in Shakespeare. I started, I played Arthur in King John when I was eight. Mm. <laughs> now, you didn't have your marvelous register of voice. That all I, I, I don't think I had any voice at all. But the extraordinary thing was that, uh, although, I, I mean, I, I didn't, hadn't ever thought about it. I was very shy, too, extremely shy and very frightened. But the moment I set foot on a stage, I felt comfortable. I felt at ease in myself for the first time in my life. And it continued to be that. And I was very lucky at that time in... Uh, because there were a lot of plays um, with young people, with, with ingenue, I mean, 14, 15-year-olds. And I was in those a lot. And then I went to England. But it wasn't until I got into the RSC, which was uh, after I'd been in England for a couple of years, and uh, that I, I suddenly realized that there was a, a damn sight more than just um, the uh, slightly cocky exhibitionist kid that, uh, you know, I, I suddenly was working with with people like Gilgood and Peggy Ashcroft and, uh, you know, and I was uh, overwhelmed by the, the, the very being of Shakespeare. 
So that was where I really started to, to understand what the, the real importance of acting was to me. I didn't believe that it was permissible for an actor not to feel stage fright. You mean you, mean you never felt stage fright? I felt fright everywhere else, but not oh, on stage. Really? That's wonderful. <laughs> that is <laughs> exactly now, now it's different. Yeah. Now I feel stage fright. <laughs> but then I did. Now you're truly uh, professional. But your name is Irish. Yes. Is Irish yes, family? Yes. My, uh, my, well, Scots-Irish. Scots. Yeah. Uh, my, my parents were both British, but my, my mother was Irish, my yeah. father was Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you moved to England as an, really as an actor? Uh, yes, as I, I was going to go to drama school, actually. I'd been accepted at Lander, and uh, uh, I, I got a job instead. I got a job in a weekly rep company, mm -hmm. Barry O'Brien, which was down in the, 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 on the coast. And um, I, 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 for about eight pounds a week, and I was learning... Uh, so much more every week by doing a new play every week for 52 weeks than I think I could have learned at drama yeah. school. So uh, I didn't go. Yeah. You know, I sort of said, did thank you. Did you ever go back to school? Did you ever go back? No. No, I never did. I, 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 I never you, went. I, I was you kept never learning through the roles and never the people that you were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> went, went through the roles, through the people, through, through the job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's, there's nothing like it as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I miss. I have missed being a student, just the, the sort of freedom of being a student and, and learning and, and not having to think about earning my living, which I've always had to do. But uh, I, I've, I've, I've never really regretted not uh, having gone the way I went, you know. I mean, well, that, that's that's fascinating. That uh, and of course that was uh, in, in in the old days uh, in the uh, last century was how people learned. You just you apprenticed yourself uh, to, to something, got into a company and worked. Sure. And then worked your way up, uh, which is uh, is fascinating. I, I wanted, did, is that your experience too, Roger? You didn't go you, apart from being blown off the street. Uh, no, no, you no. just <laughs> um, yeah. I just um, what you say about the apprenticeship thing. I, I that's what I feel very much part of that system. I think as, as Brian's talking about. I'm reminded that in the um, uh, 18th century things that you, when you were too old to play Romeo, you would sell your tights to the younger actors <laughs> <laughs> and look round to buy a smock for Friar Lawrence. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate recycling. Sure, absolutely. I, re I was, uh, but, but people ahead of me in the Royal Shakespeare Company were people like Ian Holm and Ian Richardson who'd yes. got, you know, more immediately and they'd gone all the way through from playing, uh, being spear carriers and... Uh, as, as, as I'm sure, you know, like... You know, they, you know, uh, I mean, they were there when I was there, That's yeah. right, you know, that's right. Yeah. Standing at the back Wales? watching people. What, sorry? When did you leave Wales? Uh, when, when I was nine, we came. My father was a policeman, so we came to England. And did you uh, to ever have a, a strong Welsh accent? No, no, I don't think so, really, particularly. I mean, they all spoke in that funny way in Wales, you know. But, I mean, uh, yes, and then I became, sort of, then I spoke a bit more kind of like London, then I tidied it up as an actor. Well, when, yeah. when did you... Uh, but there's uh, such a richness change, in the world. I mean, yeah. Yes, oh yes. Yeah, I feel an affinity and a kind of like sense of that, um, you know, the Richard Burton-ness of it all, the, um, the Dylan Thomas-ness of, yes. of life. Sure, I associate with that. But um, I think, um, yeah, I feel very poetic in that way. I think there is something from, you know, where, you know being brought up with those wonderful people, lots of singing, lots of singing in the pubs and things. Wonderful. Well, it wasn't a slip of the tongue for you to say I left, uh, I went to England. Uh, yeah, I went to England, that's right. Yeah. Well, Wales, Wales and England were always at war, really. I know yeah. you can pronounce place names so admirably. Nobody can pronounce who isn't Welsh a Welsh place name. No, I'm not oh, that I clever think. at that, but I mean, <laughs> my, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, whatever it is. Oh, that's so difficult, <laughs> isn't it? That long, very long go, 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 name go, go, go. things. Long, long, yeah. Yeah. long, blethy, you know. Yeah. That's uh, right. But uh, did, uh, how did, did you audition? What, what, no, I never, like, like uh, Brian, I never ever 
I never took, uh, took any instruction as an actor, save when I did get to the Royal Shakespeare Company, when I had to keep on going. So I was never educated, really, you understand? The only but how did you get to the Royal Shakespeare yeah, exactly. Well, I, w I, I was painting scenery at Wimbledon Theatre, which is in South London. Oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> Arthur Lane, Arthur Lane, Arthur, came Lane, on, Arthur Lane, who ran Wimbledon, with sort of an Audrey Lupton. Yes. I, I write to Audrey still. And um, <laughs> send her a card at the holidays. And uh, Arthur Lane was the, one of the last of the great actor managers. He really spoke like that. He said, my dear boy. And he, and, and, he, and he came onto the stage, and I was painting the backcloth for the pantomime. The toy land, you know, lots of little teddy bears and things, jack in the boxes. <laughs> and, um, uh, and he said, Do you want to be in a play week after next? And I was. I was in Hindle Wakes playing the lead. It was because I was, you know, I was the only boy around, you know, I was the only kid. And, for, and I got seven pounds a week painting scenery and I got seven pounds a week, um, uh, you know, acting. He sent me that day to go and get a suit, get measured for a suit. Up at Charles Fox's in London. I came and back and I was rehearsing. I, I knew Arthur Lang, yes. I, I, when were you at Wimbledon? Well, I mean, I, well, was, I, I was an actor in Wimbledon. Oh, yes, with Jasmine D and people. With Jasmine like D and Arthur Lane. Chance. used to Arthur Lane. Peter Haddon. That's right, Peter <laughs> Oh, God. Probably his suit that yeah, you were going to wear. Yeah, your tights. But Arthur Lane, Arthur Lane did so many plays. He did like sometimes two plays in a week. You know, you you know. Was he a producer or director? He was. He was an actor manager. So he was in the plays and he produced, fired, hired, did everything. He would. He bought. He bought the the set and costumes from Camelot when it finished at the Drury Lane Theatre. Cut it down and made it into two pantomimes, which he sent it out. You know what I mean? But he used to take. Do his voice some more. I want to hear it. But he would take. He would take a script. He would when he played a part. He had no time to learn it. You see. Because, you know, he was, you know, he was directing the play, he was hiring everyone. So he would take a Samuel French edition and tear it up and leave it like a bit would be on the mantelpiece. <laughs> a bit would be over here. So that was his performance, he'd say, Ah, oh, well, my dear, I think you should leave this morning. Uh, and then he'd go over to the coffee table. <laughs> because we are expecting... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's he must have been a very good teacher. Soap opera. That's what they write their minds very often on the floor. That's great, great education for an actor. No time to be frightened, really. But we don't have that. I suppose, like Brian says, I'm only frightened now, really, you know. So when you have time to think about it. There's no time. I mean, you know something about it. I guess that's right. You know what's at stake. Yes. There's one gift that actors have to have that I can't even imagine possessing, and that is to be able to memorize as much as you do now. Uh, you can do it by putting it on the mantelpiece, but that's only fit for manage, actor managers. Did you ever have any trouble memorizing when you, as a child, learning? No, no. I, I think you know. I think that's one of the things. You, if you've got a head for numbers, like you know, you, you, there's no point of me a, a mathematician if you don't can't add one and one. I think that's one of the basic things that one has to have as an actor. It's really it should be the least of one's worries, the least of one's problems. And uh, unfortunately, it has been for me. I think a lot of actors are fairly quick studies, or, or else you're going to be in such pain well, and, and anxiety. Fifty-two different plays. Fifty-two different plays. Yes, and you, you know, and, and you still have time to go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a wonderful. I, I may have told this. There, there's a wonderful story about the uh, uh, a, a lady who was doing rotating rep and doing a new play every every week or something, or, or rotating rep. And uh, suddenly went up one one day, and the stage manager tossed her the line and tossed her the line, and kept. She didn't react, and finally turned off stage in high dudgeon and said, "Not the line, you fool! What's the play?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
and, and I've had to, uh, it's, 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 now, Val- Valerie, when did you find out? You began as, uh, with dancing and everything else, so memorization wasn't the same kind of thing. As le- learning lines, learning steps. Yes, but I studied, I studied here in, uh, mm-hmm. in New York because there isn't a place to work. It's almost like Mary Tarsai, a lovely actress uh, who worked at the, uh, the um, Actress Lab in, in Los Angeles. She worked, um, and she'd say, look, the thing about going to class for American actors is a chance to work. Just you've got to think about it as a, a workout, like going to the ballet bar. And um, the um, at summer stock, I did. And um, I, I, this is an interesting thing. To keep body and soul together, I did what you call industrial shows. And as a dancer-singer, that was an opportunity to really act. And I remember uh, Jed Horner was his name, was the director. He said, you know, Val, you have a, a Judy Holiday quality. Why don't we do, th- it was a Chrysler show, and we walked around the cars, <laughs> and, now, and I played a nurse, and we did, it was almost like a little vaudeville, but the cars were the stars, and you made a lot of money. Oh, my God, maybe 280 maybe 300 a week touring around. And what it was was introducing the, ninth, like, for instance, the 1996 Chryslers uh, to, the, to the trade, uh, only the uh, dealers uh, from in Detroit, and then you go to major cities, and we got these one. But... I remember him saying, why don't you do this secretary like Judy Holiday?" And I said, oh, okay, I'll try that. And I started doing it. And it was an interesting, it was almost my first, and huge theaters and lots of microphones and having to sustain a character, even though it was talking about the cars, was very helpful. So as Americans, uh, we don't, didn't have that same kind of situation where it welcomed you in and you could, you could work out. So, so class was a big thing. Studied with Johnny, John Cassavetes and... Um, Tony Menino down at Herbert Bergdorf, and um, uh, Bill Hickey. I was in Bill's class in the early days. And then you just catch it as catch can. And then I was I understudied. Um, um, was there a network that went around that, that you were able to go from one place to another, as you're describing? I, I beg your pardon. Was there a network of, of, of go here? You read the trade papers. You were invited by choreographers. You heard about auditions, that kind of thing. But I really got about it. Show business and backstage were the two papers. Oh, hi, Betty. <laughs> Betty knows about this. And you just go and read and do and try. And then uh, Second City was a wonderful opportunity for me. Because from that, other We're going to get to you right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, there's yes. Betty. Well, Betty's uh, with this us is now. Betty Welcome. Buckley, as you well know. Yes. And, uh, And uh, you've already been introduced and, 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 and praised behind your back and Thank out you. of your front. Thank you. And, and uh, we've been having a hilarious morning with uh, all kinds of invitations from all kinds of wonderful people. So now, now you can pitch in. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, but at the very beginning, as always, we were asking how people had got started, that kind of thing. And it happened this morning that it was interesting that two or three of the people had had very strong support from their parents. It was something mm. where they didn't have to fight any conventions in the past. What about you in the very beginning of your career? Oh, my father was a, a, a Victorian fundamentalist from South Dakota, and oh. um, he uh, was very opposed to my being in the theater. And um, my mother had been a singer-dancer at uh, Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas, and he had been a cadet there and had fallen madly in love with her and then, of course, married her up and wouldn't let her perform anymore. And mm. so uh, she instantly got pregnant with me, and they discovered I could sing when I was about five. They had me singing in church. My aunt had been a dance teacher, so I started studying dance when I was three. And my father, this drove him nuts. And so they used to have these huge fights as she would sneak me out of the house for my dance classes. And 
I started performing uh, pretty regularly by the time I was 11 and professionally when I was 15. And we lived in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. There was a wonderful summer stock theater called Casa Manana. So I had a great deal of professional experience from the time I was 15 working in the summer stock musicals there and then in college. But it was all a big fight with my father. Um, when did he reconcile himself? <clears throat> he really never did. He was um, a very uh, stubborn man, and uh, he uh, felt that actresses and whores were the same entity, you know, and so we used to have these uh, wild fights about it. But years and years later, after Cats was on Broadway, he refused to come see, uh, I did get him to see 1776 because he thought a musical about the Declaration of Independence was, <laughs> was worthwhile, okay. And uh, I did this TV show called Eight is Enough, and I thought, oh, well, he'll like this, but he didn't even like that because it was very strange. So finally, he, would, he refused to come to Cats, and he refused to come to the Tony Awards. And, uh, but then I got to do a, a, my debut at Carnegie Hall for a big benefit for Lenox Hill Hospital. And so I invited them after all this. And he was getting a little bit older, so I flew them Where up. Where was he living at that time? In Fort Worth. In Still Texas, in Fort Worth. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so I flew my parents up uh, for this occasion. And, it, you know, I had black velvet dress, a 64-piece symphony. You know, it was, it was really a great occasion to sing at Carnegie Hall. It was like a real dream come true. So he came backstage, and he was real, his usual gruff self. And I was like, well, Dad, you know. <laughs> and he's like, world-class, Betty Lynn, world-class. Oh, <laughs> that's great. I love that. Yeah, and that was and a real true. sweet moment. But it Thank took you. a long time. Yeah, it took a very long time. What about your mother all the time? She was on well, your she side was almost time. the classic uh, stage mother, you know, mm -hmm. uh, constantly looking for opportunities for me to perform. And um, you were an only child? No, no. I had three younger brothers who are all in therapy because. <laughs> 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 when you came to New York, did you study in New York? Yes, uh, I, I minored in theater in my university. Uh, there was a wonderful professor at Texas Christian University named Dr. Jack Cogdell who had just taken over the theater department. And there was no theater minor program, and he knew that my father would never allow me to major in theater. So he created a theater minor at TCU so that I could participate in the program. He, he just he observed me from my just classes around and, and got the situation and had, had gone to school with my mother and kind of sussed out the situation. And, set this up. So I, m I majored in journalism, minored in theater, and when I came to New York I studied with several people, but uh, Stella Adler was mm -hmm. one of my most influential teachers, and I studied for 20 years uh, voice with Paul Gavert, who was a great uh, leader singer and classical teacher. And those, I think, were my two uh, most important. What did Stella you know, give you? Mm -hmm. Many people in the theater talk about Stella she, Adler. I, I really never put my work in front of her because she was very terrifying. And I was, uh, I, I. She was real theater for. Uh, yes. Cool. She was Wonderful. 17 times life size. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I, I watched her take up these other actresses to task and learned from their mistakes really well. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, but I, I studied uh, her. Um, her script analysis classes, and I got—I was so inspired by everything she said. It was just the way of thinking about uh, the poetry of the way of thinking about characters and uh, play analysis really would inspire me. And I would take copious notes, you know, about everything. Every now and then, I'd be sitting next to some younger students who would, you know, were taking the classes with some 
kind of reticence or cynicism and would comment about this older woman who was such a grand dame. One day I, I turned around and I said, do you have any idea who you're talking about? This woman is like one of the greatest legends in theater. You know, it's like if you can't say something great, just be quiet. You know, she was so spectacular, really. Her mind was just so rich and so inspiring. And, and my, um, in those days in theater, I, I was lucky to work in some long runs on Broadway, you know, for very little money in those days. But enough money to pay for my classes and my therapy, you know, so I would, <laughs> I would stay in shows for, like, long periods. Like, I was in Pippin for two years and eight months, and I thought I would go nearly, well, I did go pretty crazy. <laughs> and, um, um, but that paid for my classes, and, and I, um, I would just, you know, absorb you everything I could. wait on table at any time. No, I, I, I didn't. I, she I did that with, uh, if you go to her home for dinner, she had uh, waiters wearing white uh, gloves and serving. And uh, I once asked her where they came from, and she said, from, from the studio. They're all students. <laughs> and I said, well, waiting on table here? She said, oh, yes, they have to learn to do everything. <laughs> that was part of it. <laughs> but anyway, her classes for me, in being in long runs, just were, was about how to constantly re re-stimulate uh, your uh, creative inspiration in a, in a venture that was about repeating the same performance over and over again and how to keep thinking fresh and alive and uh, mining uh, different levels of the material that seemed so familiar but there was a depth and so it you know it's it's inspired a way of viewing things for me uh, I think one of the performers mm -hmm. talked about a, a show that has a long run that the many many times that you do it you find new things in it, and it becomes a, a, a new vehicle for you if you just let yourself work with it. And you learn something about it each yeah, time. Which is you have to, or else not you, yeah. you really have to find a, a spontaneity that... that well, how do you deal with that, right? Listening. Yes. Uh -huh. Listening listen. to the audience? Listening. Well, you always listen to the audience with the third ear. Uh -huh. You know, that's, that's part of it. But listening to, uh, listening to the person that you're acting with. Uh, I mean, just making sure that you're not thinking about... What am I going to do after the show? Isn't this boring? I will have what I left for supper, and you know, it's, you've just got to listen as though you're hearing it for the first time. It's uh, it's a it's a trick of maintenance, and it's it's very, but it's it's vital. Otherwise, you will go nuts. You know, I have I, to say that I worked with an actor once who had been told that, and he started mouthing my words. <laughs> Oh, I had to tell him that that's what he was doing. He was so mortified. He said, really? But so-and-so told me that I must listen to keep fresh. I guess I'm listening too hard. <laughs> he was mirroring, which is a good exercise. But no. Yes, but... Well, now, you've been in the heiress for months and months, uh, but the heiress yeah. has enough content, so I can imagine thinking and listening oh, in yeah. that sense. In a play, but if, if the play that you're in by bad luck is trash but popular, oh, how in the world do you go out listening to to that? That would be very hard. The play hard. is trash. I'm surprised. I beg your pardon. I will. <laughs> I had a play on Broadway, and I assure you, it was trash. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it died like a dog in the street after two days. And it richly deserved to do so. Yeah. So I speak with authority. Yeah. I wanted to, the, the, what I'm hearing also, apart, apart from the, these, these moments of, of revelation, Brendan, um, is uh, that 
that there are teachers uh, that are inspiring, uh, like uh, Stella. And, and you mentioned uh, almost a legend, which is uh, Father Hartke, apart from the spy from the CIA who was a Harvard graduate. <laughs> well, I'm sure that's what he was. But, but uh, you know, what did he teach? I mean, he is well, a real no, legend. No, he didn't. He, uh, he I got more. Yes, he managed the school. Uh, but um, I got more from Sanford Meisner than uh, I ever would have gotten. I mean, Father Hartke never taught act acting at all. Mm -hmm. But Sandy Meisner was, uh, and still is, quite an extraordinary teacher, I Great think. teacher, mm -hmm. yeah. And he, m most of what he is teaching is listening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really? Is, yes, is using what you get from the other actor. And I loved it when somebody said, yes, but what if the other actor is really bad? He said, well, then you have to imagine that they're good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Viola Spolin is yes. Yes. much of my work. Oh. And we just lost her. I know. Yeah. God bless her. And Paul Sills. And well, her whole Paul work. Sills. Paul Sills, yes, yeah. indeed. And that was when we, I was on Broadway with uh, Story Theater, working with Paul, and also Metamorphosis, as the early one, not the Baryshnikov reason. Yeah. I have a history now. It's not really nice thing about getting older. You have this lovely history, and you yeah. can hearken back. You'll, you'll get there, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it, it was to stay present in the moment and be on the balls of your feet. And much of her work is theater games. And they really work for life, but it's also, it's being ready, poised, able, uh, with alacrity to be in the next moment. And I do feel very clearly the listening, and also I feel you owe it to the audience, and I've learned it quite, quite, you know, under fire this last two months we've been only running. And we're just getting the performance to where it's presentable in my eyes. I mean, th those lovely people that came in August to see us, this whole brand new company, and we were just trying to remember lines. That's the least of what you should be doing. It should be that you get to that point emotionally and only that line can come out. And um, they change. And I've had a wonderful experience where I'm in this 500-seat house and they are in my lap. I've done mostly musicals. They are right there. I mean, the, it's unbelievable. They're in your lap. And when the play begins, the death-defying acts, the uh, actually hotline, there's a hotline, uh, John Rothman playing beautifully on the other side. And I see, like these lovely people, giving us their attention. Here they are looking, waiting for the balloon to go up. And how can we disappoint, you know? But I get to see them. And their heads are all turned. Some are nodding. Some are smiling. It is so touching. I have to start crying because I'm ready to kill myself. But I really <laughs> use that audience through the scrim. They are so beautiful. They're all unified in what's next. You know, and so if you get with them, and sometimes they're quiet. I call them Canadian audiences. That's my family because they're polite and they go, and you can't hear them laughing. You know, and sometimes we have people laughing at things that we can't imagine why they're laughing. But you just, or they, they're silent, and then you just dig deeper into the character. You don't let them let you run through it or walk it. It's it's just. Really, I think audiences a, are so important. Oh, it's, you're, it's a privilege you've got to be in to front of them. To them. And they add so much. Do you find that too, Roger? How do you work? You're doing such a diverse kind of character here. You're, oh, in the You in don't quite know who you are mm. in this direction. Yes, it's... Um, it's, it's uh, the I, audience has to sort of catch up with you. They do, that's right. Well, that's good, isn't it? I mean, it's good yes, to be ahead yes. of the audience. Isn't oh. it? You're talking oh, about long runs, though. I did think... Awesome. I was thinking about long runs, though. I mean, I've been in some long runs where after about... Eight months, you go. Oh, that's what that means. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know that moment. You go. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Just before you leave yeah. the show. Yeah. 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 Just at the end, like your last week. Really, Liz. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Though? You know, yeah. one of the things that's interesting thing about long runs is I've worked with some actors, 
And their goal is to duplicate their performance each time. And it's really, I mean, you know, everyone has different mm -hmm. things they want to accomplish. But I, I, that always seems strange to me because in a long-running show or any show, I mean, I like to do it different each night and try something different. But How there long are, have you been in Cats? Two yeah. and a half years. I did Miss Saigon, yes, I know. Hi. I think this is I a, Miss a wonderful thing to have. Which was, very, which was the longest run. I had never done any. I had been in tons of bombs or short. Fifteen months I did Miss Saigon. And, and, that, and Cats now two and a half years. And, it's very, and I had never replaced anyone before until Cats, which is a very different experience, too. But Miss Saigon was tricky because it was a very difficult role. It was a role that was not... The, Brilliantly written. How many times about it? But it was very, it was, it was very hard. The American Wife. It was an extremely difficult role, and that, and yet every night it's like I try, you know. But there are some actors I find who you must have all worked with people who try to have you. Mm -hmm. Yes. Doing the same thing every night is, of course, what. It's uh, very forgive me, hard. a long time ago, people wanted to do that. That's if you were right. in a long run of five years, your career was made, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. You were a successful actor. You could, you know, you're doing the same thing every night. But, um, but that's I mean, I like to feel now that you rehearse to a certain sort of plateau of, of shall we say, excellence or yes. something, yes. on which you kind of riff every night, right. on which you, exactly. you, you jazz, you know, you syncopate every night you really on that. really shouldn't be that way, because that's your craft. That's what makes you a professional. And that's what makes it Feeling fun. organic, yeah. yeah I, I, although you can go too far the other way and get to a point where you're in the middle of a speech and your mind says, go on, say Kellogg's cornflake. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, you can do it. You can say it. <laughs> you, got, you know, but I think you know. I think what we're discussing probably is that the little thing that that miraculously and amazingly, uh, Stephen Sondheim, um, all the S's, uh, Stephen Sondheim, uh, Tom Stoppard, and uh, those sort of uh, Spielberg, they won't ever have this moment. There's a moment. There's a little crucible the actor carries, mm -hmm. which is that moment of actual performance, when our breath. And you were so excited by being so near the audience, which is another wonderful thing. But that moment of breath, the intake of decision and uh, communication, at that moment, that's ours, really. Yes. And yes. that's the thing that's very precious. And not to make it brittle or ossified, but to actually keep it organic is a, a wonderful thing. Yeah, yeah. Vi it's make shared. it vibrate. It must be so satisfying. shared by, by that audience at that moment. And why I said those, fa exactly. yeah, and those famous men, although they're great theatricians, they'll never actually be a performer in our way when we actually get to be the person who has that moment. And it's a Ryan, wonderful thing. What yeah. does the audience give you? You're in a very small theater. <clears throat> Uh, in in uh, uh, travels with my aunt. Yes. Uh, it's four hundred. It's actually it it's actually all right. Seems small. Well, that's it? that's a very it, it, travels is a completely different play from anything. I'm now rehearsing Racing Demon, which is which is mm -hmm. extraordinary. But um, travels was was one had to play eight or nine different characters, you know, and in and out of them, and that made it terribly hard to maintain because the character, him or in, in my case herself, because I played several young women. Um, had had to kind of you you know normally the character is what carries you through ultimately I mean if you are feeling ill or you you the play is trash which sometimes it is uh, you 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 know it's the character that you believe in that carries you through in this case there were seven and you were in and out of them like a review it's an extraordinary performance mm -hmm. really. yeah. Yeah. It, it was it was it tricky really it was tricky to keep up but it was the audience and it was the more than almost any other play I've known. Uh, the audience who, if they understood what we were trying to do and were able to use 
the imagination that was required of them by that particular form um, was they, it, it became a real match between mm -hmm. us and them. Uh, it was it was an amazing. Experience. You must have been exhausted at the end of the. Yes, it was it was pretty draining. Yeah. We're going to have to take a break now, and uh, what we're going to do is just stand up, stretch, and get right back to our seats again, and continue talking about these people about quality performances. No word trash in this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> And what it is to work in the theater. Coming right back again. <laughs> this is CUNY TV, Channel 75. <laughs> The American Theatre Wing Seminars on Working in the Theatre, coming to you from the Graduate Center at the City University of New York. We're talking about what it is to work in the theatre. We have a group of absolutely marvelous performers, all who started in the various parts of the theatre and in the various areas of the world in order to come to New York City. And Brendan Gill and George White will continue bringing out the best of them in this discussion as performers in the theater. Well, I wanted, to, I wanted to pick up a little bit on this replacement issue. Well, we have two Grisabellas here, uh, <laughs> one who won the Tony Award uh, for her performance, and uh, then Liz, who came along uh, as a replacement, although not for Betty. But, but I wanted, how, what goes through your mind? What is your approach? Are you, how are you influenced positively or negatively by replacing, coming in? What, what do you do? Do you find your own way? How do you deal with the director? What, what happens? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, we, I actually didn't deal with the director because he is long since gone. Right. Um, and so I had a dance captain and a stage manager put me into the show. And I've never replaced before. So uh, I saw Betty, of course, do the show. And um, they encouraged me to do my own thing, to sing it my own way, to, to bring whatever I... I felt I wanted to to the part which was wonderful it was really I had about uh, two weeks rehearsal and uh, it's another short time really short. yeah it was sh it was short now the stage time of Grisabella is pretty short someone clocked it at about 14 minutes although I don't know I <laughs> think a, it's that's a, a good, long time I think sometimes. it's 16 or something <laughs> I really I do I it doesn't feel like 14 to me couldn't you make it 15 <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um I remember my first show, it was so strange. I'm so used to everyone collectively being nervous for first performance and all of us being, I mean, that's the wonderful thing about the theater that I think I, I've, that uh, the reason I got into theater was almost the social aspects of it. I love being part of a, a group experience and all being in, in it together. And there I was, a nervous wreck, and everyone else, it was another show for them. And even though they were very supportive, and I walked down the stairs going, I'm in Cats. It, it, it just didn't seem like I didn't have, you know, the six weeks at 890 Studios and, you know, the previews and the tech rehearsals and all that. And so it was very, you know, I, I, I previewed for a while, in, I think, in my own performance. Um, and it was tricky. And yet, uh, the show's been running... When the stage manager blocked it for you, were there, did he block it with the cast, or were you... In no, I had a rehearsal the day I went in, uh, a put-in rehearsal, where it was actually really 
horrifying. I wore the, the uh, I didn't have to do the makeup at the rehearsal in the afternoon, but I wore the wig and the costume, and that looks really strange dressed, you know what I mean? Uh, with, yes, yeah, with my little blonde face and my, you know, cat costume on. And all the rest of the cast, of course, is in their jeans. They're in their, exactly, going, oh, yeah. And it was, it was terrifying. And I admire people who go, I mean, who replace because it's, and yet I, I, because the show's been running so long, I really am lucky that I didn't need to, I didn't feel that, oh, I have to do it how Betty did it, or I replaced Lori Beachman, and I, I didn't really see her do it much. And I just tried to, I find it easier to just bring yourself to it. At least and are you enjoying it now? I am. It's, you know, I've been doing it two and a half years, and I, and, which is, to me, such a long period of time, but I love it. And as Betty will say, it's such an, it's a great role. It's a and perfect job. It is a perfect you job. You, you, you're in and out all evening, and then you go on and you deliver the killer number, and everybody <laughs> acts like, oh, thank you. Oh, I know. You know <laughs> I know. It's, you're sitting backstage reading. I feel guilty, though. It's like the other dancers, they're killing themselves, and then you come out and, yeah. you, you know. Boom. But it's, it's uh, a... <laughs> is there a change in the audiences in two and a half years that you've been in? Uh, it's actually see? very, it's almost trendy to come to Cats now. We have incredible, the it's last year and a half, the audiences have been Repeat amazing. Repeat audiences, they've yeah, been before. Yeah, and the people are bringing their children who saw it originally. <laughs> we have a great, we have a very large international audience. A lot of Japanese tourists mm -hmm. come, and, uh, but it's, it's been incredible. I think we've been satirized on David Letterman so many times that it's, that people it are really, it does help. It really does help when people are coming to the show. Um, but it is a wonderful part, and in talking about doing a long run and listening, um, so much of Grizabella is alone and reacting oh, yes, to people who don't want, you know course, what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very different, uh, now, but now I love I've the seen, role. Have you you were speaking with Fran uh, before. Yeah, uh, about, and have yeah. you seen Betty in oh, Sunset? Not yet. I'm going to. Oh, I'm so am I. <laughs> Good. Very soon. I'll give you all my numbers and you can call okay. to the house seats. I'll like, set up your tickets right away. What kind of rehearsal period do you have? Um, what did I rehearse? Oh, in New York, uh, about two weeks. But in London, when they first put me in, I had eight weeks. Oh, so, well, you wow. did have eight weeks. Yeah, yeah, in England. Because they, they broke the show down there and uh, put in all the changes that they'd made in L.A. They closed the show for a month, redid the set, redid oh. the lighting uh, did it, just made all the changes and put in all the... See, they refined the show in England. Uh, from the British production, they refined it in Los Angeles. And mm -hmm. then he wanted to, to give the... London Because he got such mixed reviews in England, he wanted the London audience to see what he'd finally figured out about the show. So he broke it down. So for me, it was... In England, wasn't... Um, like replacing as much as it was getting to do a fresh start on the show. It was really starting over. Yeah. Really, yeah. And so I had the eight weeks with Trevor. And, and who was the director who worked with you? Trevor. Trevor worked yeah. with you. And, and then uh, when I came to New York, I had very brief rehearsals because equity doesn't allow the uh, cast that's working very much rehearsal time. So, do you want to uh, explain that? How much time do they Yeah, have? how much is that? What is the rule? Uh, there, I, I don't know the exact rule, but there were only so many hours a week that the two leading men that I work with in Sunset were allowed to work. So I got a minimum of time with them. And then Trevor flew in and gave us uh, about two days, one really full, hard-on day, with, which was absolutely necessary because uh, in, in Sunset, Sunset's uh, you know, is a, just a fabulous show and really classic powerful material it's you know had such mixed 
messages about it as a piece from from the critics and stuff, which is odd. But each you know each woman that plays, I've seen. I saw Patty Lapone do it. I saw two understudies. I saw Elaine Page who took over mm-hmm. for me in England, and um, um, I saw Glenn last November, Glenn Close, and so I've seen all these various Normas, and I haven't seen my own. I, I saw kind of glimpses of some press footage, and that was horrifying. This <laughs> <laughs> is like, oh my god! And uh, it's funny how, like, you think you're—I don't. Do you guys have this problem? No, no. You think you're doing something, and you have a sense that it has a certain physical aspect to it, and then. Mm. You see one of these video yeah. press reels, and you go, "You're oh my god! I had no idea I look like that. I'm doing that." You know, and these moments that I think are like, like really slow or like really realized in time, just go by like a slur. And I'm going, I have no my sense of inside myself, what my sense of time is, and how it manifests itself externally. It's completely strange. Mm-hmm. It, do you it can't be the show and see the show. Do you have that experience? That's yeah. a real truism. Sure. That yeah. just frightens That's why me. Directors. And there's nothing I can do about it, you know, except just go back and go, oh, well, okay. I can just do the best I can, you know. Absolutely. At the very <laughs> beginning, did the stairs bother you? Was that Oh, difficult? the stairs are just the worst thing about the show. And this, I guess, yeah. <laughs> your knees just really take their toll. But anyway, I had these two days of rehearsal with Trevor, which... Uh, <laughs> but what I started to say, I'm sorry I'm digressing, was... Is that each woman who's done it? It's it's so fascinating because it's such a powerful role, and uh, you really get the accumulative life experience of each actress, and each interpretation is so vastly unique and vastly different. And why there's all this sense of competition and comparison is very very strange because mm-hmm. one can only be what <laughs> one is and bring your own information to it, you know. And, uh, I think it's press, don't you? Oh, it's, it's hoopla, but, you know, it's like... It's something to write about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think okay. Boris Yeltsin is right. <laughs> yes, yes, that was wonderful, yes. <laughs> now, Val, you were talking about uh, replacement of you and Fran before oh, we Fran's got that. Fran's the most wonderful sort of driving this daisy, she was telling me. Tell us oh, that. God. Oh, well, I just went in in eight days to replace Dana, oh, right. who uh, really did a wonderful blueprint for the part. And um, I just asked the stage manager if I could come in before Christmas and before my eight days started to get the blocking. Because I don't uh, learn things very easily without moving, without knowing where I'm going. And uh, Daisy had such uh, fast scene changes. I mean, it was just one scene after another. Uh, So I got the blocking of and was able to learn the lines with some cueing. And uh, I only made one mistake. On the opening night. We had a situation with death-defying acts, unlike what you were talking about, four of us, actually five, because the, the uh, Cinderella finally, or what is it, the bridesmaid, Paul O'Brien, finally got to do the mammoth, the David Mammoth role, and he'd been understudying it. So he was pretty solid. But the four of us, Kelly uh, Bishop, a wonderful actress from... Uh, Chorus line. Mm. line, and and of course, uh, pterodactyls and Mm -hmm. many things. And uh, John Rothman and Brian Reddy, the four of us came in to rehearse. And I thought, four weeks, okay, I'll learn it in Los Angeles um, when I got the role, and and I'll be prepared, uh, at least with the text, really uh, really have it uh, in terms of ideas of what I was going to do. Two weeks with the stage manager, and then Michael Blakemore came in, this wonderful, he's fabulous director. Just incredible for two weeks. But I didn't really realize at the time these were three plays 
and what you did in the what you rehearsed in one play didn't serve you in the other. Like when you do a three actor, what you do in the third act serves the first. The character development, you can go yeah. back and you build your evening. This was really horrifying because we would rehearse one one show on Tuesday and then we wouldn't touch it until Saturday because the other two plays, those actors, and limited time too. Exactly, Betty. We could only get on the stage at a certain time because the stage crew, crew had to open the theater and that then they had to stay till 11 at night. We never really had a full tech. It was incredible. And then there was New Yorkers. I felt my coming back to New York, there they were sitting out there. Mm -hmm. But um, I, we just had to say these are previews and we're going to get it. It was amazing. And you felt <laughs> that the audience itself, did they have any sense of what your feeling was or not? I don't, I hope not. <laughs> because, but you, you try your best, but I knew it wasn't where it should be. You can't, I mean, I said to them, I, I, my experience was, I have never been this unprepared uh, in my life, including all the years of, of, of Mary Tyler Moore and Rhoda. By the way, those shows are a theater experience. Mm -hmm. I think maybe that's why I took to this easily. It's not like a film actress coming back. Um, you have 300 people there. It's like summer stock. You rehearse it all week. I, I don't know, Betty, yours was single camera. Ours was film, yeah. Okay, that's another story. But these 300 people are there and you want them to laugh for real. So the, you have cameras between you and them, but they're there. So that, it is wonderful. And there's four cameras and you don't have to stop. And you do a scene. So it's, it's sort of a, a stepchild of theater, but yeah. closer than anything else. But isn't that, isn't that close to what's happening in England, has happened in England, working with the Royal Shakespeare and, and the repertory companies? Don't the English performers more frequently work with each other doing different plays at this on the same season, moving from one character to another. Uh, well, um, I, I don't think any more than in any other place in the world, but we certainly, I mean, certainly when we I first went... We have more repertory in England. Yeah, when yes, you work... Yes, yes. 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 You're talking about right. either rotating rep right. or, or, or regular rep, where you do mm -hmm. synchronistic rep, where <laughs> mm. you do one after the other, yes. one uh, one. I think there's just, just a little bit more quantity, really. Right. You, you, you just. I've never done that. Is that really difficult? It have to be so difficult what, to carry rep? all those characters. In rotating rep is the best thing in the it's world. Yes. The best yes. thing in the world yes. because Why every that? time you come to it, it's fresh. Yeah. 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 You know, you've been away from it. You've been doing Romeo and Cassio for a couple of, and then you come back and you start to play Edgar and and. You, you realize it all over again. It's, mm -hmm. it's, you can it's carry all those people in your head at the same time. That's amazing. <laughs> but so, you drop the other two. You drop it. Bring it's it back. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's that is wonderful. What fun. I'd love to do that. But we've tried repertory so often in America unsuccessfully. Yeah. Yeah. ABA was as yeah. close yeah. as we got. Yeah. Yeah. But you could, I was in Pitt Lockery once, and, you, and their, their advertisement said, Stay seven days, see seven plays. You know what I mean. Uh, but uh, it, when I went to the Royal Shakespeare Company, we would the matinee would always be different than the evening. You know. Yes. Wow. But then, uh, when I first joined, I was, uh, I was, uh, I, I played a huntsman um, in every Shakespeare play. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I was always a huntsman. That was it. No, you know, like Antony and Cleopatra, a huntsman. You know, Taming the Shrew, a huntsman. But then, so it's not so much fun then, because you're, you're just a huntsman all the time. You've got the same boots on it. Actually, the, 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 same tights. Yeah, the same tights. The boots I was given for my first a huntsman. 
of course, were second-hand because I was a huntsman, uh, you know. <laughs> but they were Charles Lawton's King Lear boots. Oh, oh, oh great! They were the boots I was given when I first went to Stratford. Yeah. However, what and happens you know, when you get the repertoire system later on is that that eventually, after some, you know, 15, 17 years in the Royal Shakespeare Company, I was playing in the repertoire system. Uh, Barone in Love's Labour's Lost in the afternoon and Hamlet in the evening. Great. Now that's when it works. Mm, great. Really great. Yeah. Mm. I used to like it the other way around, actually. I used to like Hamlet first, get rid of that, and then do the <laughs> Barone. <laughs> yeah, have some fun. Get lots of love. But it's really but, pumping but, artistic but, iron. It's really but it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that when it works great, it works like that, and then it's fantastic. Yeah. What it works, well, actually, even better than that, is there was a period at the Royal Shakespeare Company when people were playing large and small parts. Yes. And that's fantastic. When someone is playing uh, Coriolanus in the afternoon and then in the evening in your play, they're playing a That's good. That's real corporate theatre. That's really exciting because there's a joy in that, a, a sharing, which uh, is, I find, the thing that really I associate with the best sort of theatre experience in my we life. We have trouble here because I remember during APA, uh, this, the stagehands union had to give so many concessions in order to change the set. That's right. oh and over here, we really do have a problem with that. Right. Eventually, what happened was that they, they, they came down to using one sort of set at mm. Stratford. Mm. You know, a black box, a white box, yeah. or a, an approximation of come some sort of octagonal sort of thing with balconies, which you could use for many plays yeah. because of that very problem. Yeah. 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 I'd love to do yeah. musicals and rap. Wouldn't yeah, that be fun? Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. 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 That would be great. All the American classic musicals back to back. Oh. Well, they do, in fun. a sense, uh, the opera, Metropolitan Opera does a little bit if you're a chorus member, not if you're a star. Do, oh, does that in right, a sense. Right. That's the only place it's left. Yeah. Yeah. God, that'd be a great idea. From Nicholas Nickleby, when you were last in New York, then after Nicholas Nickleby. Here oh, in after New York. Nic uh, Nicholas Nickleby was, uh, of course, a wonderful thing in, in my life. It was a wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thank, thank, thank you very much. I got the Tony Award for that, and it was a you know very celebrated moment in my life. But um, and and uh, I do think it's a celebrated. It, it, Nicholas Nickleby was about acting, you know, and so mm -hmm. therefore it was for lots of actors. It was for everyone, for all of us, really, a thing like that. But um, uh, I went back for a week to England. Let's talk about it's about flavor of the month. Um, you know, we, I was the toast of the town. But <laughs> I came back a week later to a party, and somebody actually did that thing. They went. Um, Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> because I'd gone, you know, I'd finished. Um, but um, I don't know. No, no, that's right, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's, I don't know. Uh, it, uh, what I did, I, uh, uh, people say that I should have stayed, but I actually went back and did a musical where I played a rabbit in England at the Young Vic, a, a thing called Masquerade, and uh, Sarah Brightman played a daffodil. It was a wonderful story about a, 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 a hare that takes a... Uh, uh, the love of the sun to the moon. It was a, uh, it was a, and it was very unsuccessful. <laughs> Rather good music, actually, but it was. Um, uh, I just felt that I should do what I wanted to do then, you know. And perhaps I should have stayed here and uh, done Uncle Vanya or something. But no, I just uh, followed my That's nose. Such I a guess. pity. You've never achieved anything because of that. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Don't we all feel yeah. that? And so then that brought you up to indiscretions here. Well, I, then I did some, and I worked with Tom Stoppard a lot and did a lot of Stoppard plays. Uh, the real thing I did for the first time in England for a year, and then uh, Hapgood. And then Hapgood took me to um, uh, America, where I was in Los Angeles playing it with Judy Davis. And uh, then the Cheers people came. 
and in, using many negatives, they said to me, I suppose it wouldn't be possible that you couldn't be possibly interested. <laughs> <laughs> so we were backing yeah. out of the yeah. room. They were and, so um, but they, um, I went to see them, and I, it was the hottest day of the year, and I was wearing a suit. And um, they said, uh, anybody who turns up in a suit, you know, on the hottest day of the year should play the part. They thought, <laughs> <laughs> but like you, then I had a wonderful experience with Cheers, with Francis and, and Valerie, in that, in that you play in front of a, an audience, a live audience, with the cameras on you, and that's ex very exciting. And really good writing. Uh, Great very writing, yeah. Mm. yeah. That, way. Yes. that makes such a difference. Good oh, writing. it's the writing is everything, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I absolutely. hate to interrupt you, but we have some questions here from the audience, oh, and good. could we do that now? Paula Cave. I'm a student in Mercer County in an acting class, and I just wanted to say what an honor it is to be here today with such an esteemed panel. Also, I'd like to find out, how do you get involved with acting? I mean, without having any prior knowledge or knowing anyone, how do you go about doing that? I think, you know, I think, can I say something? What I always say to people, I don't know if this is helpful, this is a completely spiritual notion, but I think if you really need to be an actor, you must express your need. If your want is great, you must express it. But if you discover it isn't great enough, then you have to step aside and let someone else whose need is the better, more than yours, do it. I think if you really feel you have to do it, then somehow you have to do it. How do you express and, that need? Well, yes, Francis said earlier, you just have to go everywhere you can to act. You have to act on street corners, in church halls. You can, you know, we all started off as amateurs. None of us started off as professionals. No one does. You know, you start off performing with your parents, you do what you can. <laughs> Except for Brian, who was a star was when he was born. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, my name is Sylvia Norman, and the need to act just kept coming and coming, and I couldn't resist it any longer, so I am now a working actress. And what I wanted to know, do you still have to audition, any of you? Yeah. Mm. I am today. <laughs> and if you do, do you have any special little things that you'd like to share with us? That you prepare or that well, you soon. find works for you or that. Um, I think you have to go in knowing completely. Uh, my name's Betty. It, uh, from, you have to know completely from your heart that you have something to offer. I th I, I've been teaching acting for years and years uh, on and off when I'm in the city. And I try to tell my students so many people who want to act come in and and they're desperate for you to tell them that they're good. You know, they, they basically come, you know, let me know by your, give me your approval, in other words, whether it's a job mm -hmm. that they're going for or a teacher that they're going to. And that's not it. You have, to, you have to find a place in yourself where you know that you have something unique to offer and that that's absolutely inviolable. Viable. You know, it's like no one can violate that, mm -hmm. even if they reject you, even if they say no. So you walk in and, and you, 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 from a subliminal level, what you're communicating is, I have something very rich and unique to offer. And I'm not here to ask for you to approve me. I'm here to share with you what I have to give. That's and right. then yeah. it, it's possible that they'll give you the job. <laughs> and if Thank they you. don't, I, I, I think you, this if is they very reject you, then I think you have to accept that you just weren't with their idea of the exactly. part and not get all upset and don't take it personally. Uh, don't take no. it personally. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I direct uh, uh, quite a lot. And uh, when people audition for me, uh, a word that I don't really like because it, it, it's really a meeting. It's, it's a, and I need 
to know that that actor or actress is going to mean something to me personally as well as to the part so that there's a there's a quality of uh, confidence and uh, and warmth that I think is important to bring with you as a as a, a, an auditionee mm -hmm. and uh, the, the, and know that the director needs to find the right person as well as you needing to find the job yeah. that's, that's it yeah. Yeah. does anyone want to add to that because I think it's it's one of the important questions that come up all the time in these seminars mm -hmm. the thing also is if you can be defeated by no you really probably shouldn't be in this business. That's oh, true, too. And we get a lot of them. Yeah, and I, th I thought I had. When I first went to Hollywood, I started to go out for sort of films and things. And I would go into the room and I'd, I'd, I'd have the, the sides, which is, the, is a little bit of script that, that, uh, on a piece of paper. And I'd say, well, how do you want this? Would you like it, like, tall, short, <laughs> funny, yeah. you know, serious? And they would be dumbfounded by the notion that I was complex and I could offer them different versions of a character. And I've learned that that uh, well, this is only a generalization is that um, the best thing to do is to actually look at those if you can get them the day before learn the lines go in and give a performance right. that you've decided on I'm gonna yep. today I'm yes. gonna play this part That's Scottish it. I'm gonna do it Scottish you go in and you do it like that and then you say thank you very much for seeing me and you leave because at least that day even if you're rejected you you feel you've acted exactly you yes. acted you yes. exercise your craft you know it's a very yeah. important thing I another think. trick for auditioning mm. I think not a trick just a real good technique is to go in and um, as, as uh, Roger just mentioned that you, you you do the successful performance you don't think of it try not to think of the job or oh god I need this job it's it's more like go in and fulfill and then you walk out of there maybe you were too brunette or too heavy or too small or too old or whatever or too uh, English whatever mm -hmm. but never, you, never. you never never, never. never. <laughs> they'll always be in England the other thing is when I was a chorus dancer a dear friend of mine used to be my husband current excellent friend years and years ago Richard Shaw he I say oh my god there's gonna be uh, 300 400 girls a dance in you for a chorus of eight and he'd say Valerie no no there's only there's only two you and the person that gets it, do you know what I mean or one of eight so if you can walk in you cut your competition way down because it's between you and some one other person for the role and it's almost like a little way to go in and then you're able to do what you do I also make like today I'm going to a reading right from here and I've made specific decisions and things and I write them actions that I'm you know because I didn't have time really enough time to, to, to read the whole piece but if that's what you do one more question I'm Kat Caruso I'm a theater major at Mercer County College and this is to Roger Rees what problems do you encounter playing a very stylized piece like indiscretions or hap, hap good and how do you find grounded reality in farce um, this is another song. why is this to me <laughs> All right, very quickly um, uh, uh, you know, um, this this is a European play, this cocktail play, and I think uh, uh, that a, a sort of there's a sort of European play that is very very um, like circus, at the same time as being very very true. I was in another play called The Suicide by Nikolai Erdman, mm -hmm. which is a wonderful play where at one point the poor members of this Russian family throw their plates around the room, and they only have three plates and two cups and a vase, but they throw them around the room, and it's like a circus. You know, when people throw plates around. But think about it, these are the only things these people have, their only possessions, and they're almost daring each other to break them. And I think that's a... Uh, so these, these, although these things are stylized, 
Um, they, are, they are about real, true, grievous moments in people's lives. And I think you have to find any, any pushing of reality in theatre is only substantiated by the fact that there's a truth underneath it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's... And you, that's why you get variant different forms of theatre. Thank you yeah. so much. Really, you... you I, I wish we could go on and on with this. And I, I once more have to be rude and interrupt you and, and say that... This is the American Theatre Wing Seminar on Working in the Theatre, and it's coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. And this is the most extraordinary panel of gifted and generous people that we've ever had on our program. And I thank you all for being here and sharing your craft with us. Thank you so much.